Thanks for joining us today on the Centerpoint podcast coming from the Loft on Main in Danville, Kentucky. For more information, check us out at centerpointdanville.com. And today is Easter. The resurrection of the only king who claimed he would die and rise again and pulled it off. There is nothing greater than Easter. And I just want to say thank you for spending your time with us this Easter as we worship, as we celebrate, as we remember and hopefully encourage you at the end to run towards him. You see, Easter for many of us, especially where we live here in our culture of Kentucky, allows us to remember the good old days way back when, right? Maybe from a childhood memory, if you can recall it. You may even try to resurrect something from the past you used to do as a child, and now you want to do it with your family. You know, it's, it's like those weird things like deviled eggs, you know, or dipped eggs, right? You know, not the little plastic ones that, that are fake eggs, but like the hard-boiled ones, right? The real ones, right? If you crack them, it's, those, it's like it's, it's a mush, right? Or maybe those Cadbury Easter eggs, right? I don't like those things, but, you know, some people do. And my personal favorite, though, man, I am all in on Reese eggs. Anybody else? Do we have any fans? Praise the Lord. We got some people. Jesus may shine your favor on those today. So anyways, you know, you got Reese's eggs. You got Easter egg hunts. You got egg hops, egg flops. A bunch of egg flops when you're dealing with three-year-olds. You know, you got Easter, and you got, you got three-legged races, one-legged races. I don't know how that one pulled off anyway. But you do anything that you can do. And you'll even run through the line at Walmart, even when there's 26 lanes and only two open at three in the morning, right? To make sure, to make sure that your family can experience that one thing, that that one huge thing that has impacted your life and your family so much, so you want to pass it on to your children and your children's children, your loved ones, and, and those who can experience the same thing that impacted you and changed the course of history for you for Easter. So my question is, what is it? What is that one thing? What is that one thing that, man, we just got to do it? I got to share it. I got to tell them. You see, today, if you're new with this, or if you call us family and you call this place home, or maybe you're even catching us online right now, it is Easter 2018, and it's not like you don't know what I'm going to talk about, right? And maybe that's the one reason for some of you choose not to come back until next Easter because you're like, it's the same message every year, right? You get in the car, that's it. You, I knew he's going to talk about that, right? And you're like, that's the same boring message. You know, he said the same thing last year. Yes, I'm going to say the same thing. He is risen. Yeah. And I can say it over and over again because I got the microphone. But the truth is, the truth is next week, if you choose to come back, which I hope you do, we're going to start something new, right? We like to do things new all the time. And so next week, here's what I know. A lot of people in our current culture, man, they just find themselves held hostage or they, feel they find themselves strapped by finances. And one of the things that we love to talk about is how to get freedom from things. And one of the things we know people are held hostage from is their finances, now, then you can say, well, I'm, I'm really good with my finances. I, but what I, would, what I would ask you just to lean in and say, listen, I think we can all lean in and listen to the words of Jesus because he mentions money more times in the Bible than heaven or hell. And if it's important to him, it should be important to us. And so uh, what we're going to do is we're going to start a new series called Strapped. 
And, and what we know is too many of us are living in a prison of financial debt and stress, right? One of the number one things that causes most divorces in most families is communication. Number two, money. And what we believe is the good news is we can learn how to get out of financial bondage and begin a new life better together and do things the right way, which is following Yahweh. And so I want you to consider coming next week as we get smart, as we get smart with our money and learn practical and biblical principles to free ourselves from being strapped. But today is Easter. He is risen. And I want you to consider this, right? I want you to consider this. And if you're taking notes, here we go. Let's write them down. We're going to talk about three R's that I hope challenges you and changes maybe the way we look at Easter. And those three R's of Easter, hopefully for us today, will, will change the trajectory of how we experience Easter together. And I hope by the time we're finished, we will have revealed what God is trying to do with this message as we dive into his living and active holy word. And so if you got your Bible, bring it out. If not, turn on your screen and hit, you know, you version or, or Olive Tree Bible. Or there's some Bibles in the back if you need one, if you just got to have a hard copy, right? Or if you don't do any of that and you're just kind of lazy for everything, look on the screen behind me. We, we did the work for you. But Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24. We'll jump on the page with verse one. It says, Luke, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. And so they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, while they were wondering about this, while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. Now then, I don't know if you ever saw two men standing in white clothes, but, and they were gleaming like lightning standing beside you, but I would imagine for me, I would have pooped my pants. So, just being honest here, okay? Just being really truthful this morning. But that would really freak me out. Verse 5. In their fright, see, it says they were scared too. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, I love this question. Why do you look for the living among the dead? You know, you almost got to imagine like, oh, these are two men gleaming like lightning. Are they speaking like thunder? You know, are they like, ladies, ladies, Mary, Mary Magdalene. You know, what, how the, how the, I, I'm just curious, you know, how that all went down. So my mind wanders sometimes, I know, ADD. Anyways, you know, it, he is not here. What he says. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has what? Risen. There it is again. He has risen. Now it says, remember how he told you. While he was still with you in Galilee, verse 7, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of the sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. You see, this moment, this moment, this moment is why we celebrate Easter today. But for those who were close to Jesus then, can you imagine, can you imagine with me there are mixed emotions Seeing your friend betrayed, seeing him pulled away from you and beaten, falsely accused, 
murdered, buried, and now gone. When Jesus was alive, when Jesus was alive, they saw him heal people. They saw him love people and they laugh with people, break bread with people, and he would do the unthinkable, right? If you know the gospels and you've, you've read some stories or if you heard some preachers, you know, you know that he turned water into wine. Some of you are like, praise God. Just being honest, I know some of you. I, and I even saw some, you know, they're like, hey man, he, we saw him, he healed people. He gave men sight. He, he healed him. He put some mud on his eyes and it's just like crazy. It's amazing. He even saved some from the grave by bringing them back to life. He was the, the grave robber who produced life. But now those that followed him stand confused, bewildered, and wondering what in the world is going on as they stand outside his tomb and to bring flowers because they loved him. You see, I don't know if you caught that verse, but they brought flowers because men who really don't, you know, fix up things properly, these women brought flowers to fix things up properly. Just saying, interior decorators, Martha Stewart moment there for us. Anyways, in verse five, in verse five, it says, we see where these women are very confused because they came to look for the dead. They came to look for the dead. They saw him, they saw him beaten. They saw the spear go in. They saw him wrapped up. And now he's out here because they came to look for the dead. You know why they came to look for the dead? Because that's where dead people are, <laughs> in graves, in tombs. But here are two glowing men asking questions, right? Why do you look for the living among the dead? You can almost sort of feel the tension, right, in the room this moment or on the side of the tomb, wherever they were, standing in the garden. I don't know. It's just right there in that moment. You can almost feel the tension because these angels are trying to get their attention. And Mary and Mary, right? Our M&Ms, the original ones, not the ones that melt in your hand. Because that's where they should be looking for the dead. Because Jesus is dead. I saw him. You know, the spear went in, but after that, I watched what Joseph and, 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 and Nick did to his body. Put 75 pounds of seed in his mouth and they wrapped him up like a mummy and they shoved him in the tomb. They soldiers put this big stone. Hey, he's dead. He's dead. These angels are standing there going, why do you look for the living among the dead? You can sense the tension here because Jesus is dead. This is where they placed him. We saw it. They did a poor job of putting flowers around the grave and that's why we're here. This makes perfect sense in my brain. We are looking for Jesus or at least the body of Jesus. Why are you asking this, this at this moment? And you can almost sense Mary and Mary. You know, if, you, if, you, if you've ever had anybody that asked you a silly question, right? Come on. You, you got the snap real quick with the head because that's where he's at, you know? And don't tell me you don't do that, right? You don't snap back, really, right? Mary and Mary, I guarantee it, snap back because they were already fired up because you just killed their best friend. And they snap back her in a hurry and you can sort of sense it and feel it because that's where he's at. I don't know if you ever thought about this neither, but let's just talk about Jesus for a second. Jesus never did things the way we think they should be done. 
I mean, let's just be real. He walked on water. He could have walked around. He could have took a boat. No, he walked on water. He, you know, he could have ordered out thousands of fish sandwiches. No, but he decided to take two little pieces of fish and a lot of little loaves of bread and just make all kinds of fish sandwiches for everybody and fed 5,000 people, right? He touched lepers who were not supposed to be touched. He brought those who were far from the outside and brought them to the table and ate with them and he called them his friend. Jesus always did things wrong in the culture, but was good indeed, right? But one would think the one thing that he could do extremely well is get death right, right? I know I'm kind of confusing you, but think about this. What I know is this, dead people do dead well. What I know is this, if you never do anything good the rest of your life, the one thing you're going to get right is be dead, You're going to go down or cremation, and I don't understand that. But, you know, you're going to go down, sprinkled, whatever, and you're going to do dead well. You just will. You just will. I mean, some of you are laughing, but you know it's true. You're going to do that one really well. But we know Jesus did a lot of good things in life, but the one thing Jesus was not good at at all was being dead. (laughs) Think about it. He has risen. And he's like, three days, he was very specific. And he was like, enough. I am risen. He called himself out. He's like, I got to get up. I got to get busy. Time's clicking, right? He's like, I'm out of here. And this whole straight out of Compton thing, you know, you know, they think they're the original ones with this kind of, you know, commentary in life. But I had to argue back. Jesus like straight out of the grave, bro. You know, he just comes running out. Dead no more, alive as well. I'm ready to come. And that's good news for us, right? Now, let's get back to the M&Ms. The M&Ms at the scene, you can only imagine what's going through their minds. Is, is Someone is messing with us. This is the worst April Fool's joke in the world. It really wasn't April Fool's back then, but, you know, I can only imagine the bad jokes coming from every pastor around the world today anyways, but I'm not going to go there because I'm not going to say one. Anyways, is someone messing with us? I just, is someone messing with me? Is, is someone pulling on our leg? Or did Jesus really do what he said he was going to do? Because I've never seen that done before. Did he just pull off the unthinkable, the supernatural? Did he just make love come alive? In that one moment, in that one moment, that was the moment that began a movement that love built, that love built, and it changed lives. Come on, say it with me, church. That changes lives. And what I think is funny is this. The angels get a little up in their face, you know? I don't know how angels can be sassy, but they are. But, you know, I guess they have a right. They're they're just... They got some, I don't know, you know, it is what it is. But it says they get a little sassy, you know, with their response with the ladies, because I know they had a head kick. I know they did. A little personal up in their grill, if you allow me to say that. And they didn't let up. It says in verse six, it says this. It says, do you remember? He told you, right? He says, do you remember? He told you, he told you, right? Or somebody like, he told you, you know, I told you, I told you so. It's, it's those moments of clarity. And I got to give Mary, you know, one of the Marys, we're, you know, we're like, Jesus said a lot of things. And is this like a trick question or something, you know? 
You can almost sense it coming out of Mary Magdalene's mouth right there. He has that moment. He said a lot of things. And, and, and the other Mary was like, come on, who can remember at a time like this? It's Jesus is dead, and I just want to, <laughs> just give me a break. You know, you can almost sense the two people coming together there to make one, and it's just not a good scene. But those angels, man, they were relentless. They just kept on digging in, and they were like, remember, remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. Verse 7, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of the sinners, be crucified on the third day, be raised again. Then, I love this part. It's like, you know, it's like when I'm talking to my wife and she says I never did say this, and then it hits her a couple minutes later. (laughs) I'll pay for that one later. But, you know, it's those moments. You know, you've been driving in the car, and you're like, I told you. No, you didn't. I told you. Yes, I did. I told you. And they're oh, that's what that little blue circle is on my cell phone. Ah, oh, yeah. You know, we had those moments before. I'm just being honest and real this morning, right? This is what happened for Mary and Mary. Verse 8, it says, then they, what is word? Remembered his words. It says, then they remembered his words. And so for the first R word, I want you to write down and just put across your page or put on your cell phone, whatever you need to do. Hashtag remember. Remember, it's really simple. It's a one word moment. Remember. You see, this is what I have found out. In order to remember something, it has to trigger our memory, which memory is a dynamic piece of who we are and our identity. For some, it works better than the others, just being honest. But, you know, for memory to work, right? As humans, we have to have a place to put it in to make it work. And the reason why is it has to be connected to a future we can expect or trust. You see, this is why Jesus was a genius of why he did and what he said. You see, every time he spoke, there was a reason. There was meaning, there was a future. For those who had ears to hear to trigger a memory for the future, he said, seeds must die for life to happen. The temple will fall, but it will be rebuilt on love in the future. You see, all the I am statements, I am life. Everything he said, there was meaning, there was life, and there was a future. Why? Why? Because Jesus knew there would be days, there would be days like that for them, and there would be days like that for us. A day that felt like there was nothing left. Like the world's just collapsing down on you and you're just bewildered, you're lost, you're confused. Days like when things don't add up in life and you found yourself all alone and there is no hope. When you go through that divorce, you find yourself in front of that judge, you find yourself in that jail cell, you find out that you're pregnant, you find out that you just lost all your money, you find out everything that's just collapsing on, or you lost your loved one, you lost your mom, you lost your dad, you lost your kid. There is no hope. You wanna give up. The porn movement has just overtaken you, you're addicted to it, there is no hope. That addiction of drugs, alcohol, or sex is just pulling you down. There is no hope. There's no way. There is no life. And Jesus is yelling at you to remember. 
It's this far point in our brain, somewhere in between there, to recall what he's saying and why he did what he did. To stay focused on me, not the world. I know it looks kind of gray right now, but look at me. I promise there will be life and life is coming. And Jesus was very specific. It's a short time. When you go through this stuff, he says three days, and I promise there's life coming. And I don't know where you're at in your moment of gray or your darkness areas of your life or when you've gone through them, but I promise when we stay centered and we point and we live in Jesus, it changes everything and it produces life to the fullest. That's what he promises and that's what he did. You see, death only has a place for a couple of days in our life, but when Jesus enters the house, life happens. Sometimes what happens is this. We need to be reminded that life will happen because in the current circumstance, our mind can't comprehend the situation of death around us because we can't think thoroughly. But we need to be reminded of this day. And I wish I had the greatest voice, you know, in those movies where they're just, they're marching up and down to cheer on the troops and they're just, they're coming up with this great one-liner, right? Not this day, right? You know, Lord of the Rings moment, not this day. Not this day. Remember. This is the day that changes everything. Remember. I may go in there and it may look dark and deep, but I promise you life's coming. Remember. And he did it. He did it. It's just for us to understand what the fullness of the resurrection means, that Jesus has overcome death. And for those that follow me will have life and life to the fullest only if we trust and obey. And I grew up with an old hymn that said, because there is no other way. And see, what I also know is this. There's some people in here that got their bumpers up like this. And they're kind of standoffers. They're like, eh, you know, I'm here. You might be a little far from God today, and, and maybe you even got drugged to church, and you don't even want to be here. You believe in God, but, you know, Jesus is like, eh. And I, and I would just encourage you to consider this. We, we actually, honestly, if we're just real, we, we make fun of some people like that. And so, because you're, you're like a CEO of a church. You only show up on Christmas and Easter. And, and, and because it's not your fault, it's just that's the way you were raised. You, you believe in him, but it's, it's just like, you know, those fairies or those bunnies or St. Nick's. It's more of a myth in your journey. And so you just, you come and you go and you stay gone for a long time because there's nothing real about it for you. You see, you grew out of it a long time ago and you, you, you go now because it's the, the right thing to do. Besides, grandma made you come, let's just be honest if you want her cobbler pie. And everybody wants grandma's cobbler pie. You see, the truth is you struggle. You struggle with everything who Jesus is today because it's hard for you to place your trust in something you cannot receive from. The reason why you believe in those others we talked about earlier, it's because at one time you received something and you believed. But Jesus, well, not so much. Let's just stand off for a second. I did the little thing, went down front, got my golden ticket, but really, I have nothing's changed. 
It's just, it's just hard to fully believe when you can't see him, you can't receive him, which causes me to stumble and fall and to believe that, you know, that is real. And so I ask you to consider this, if this sort of is where you're at in life, in your journey. Consider this, not just the man who lived here and walked among the earth and changed countless of lives, but consider the living spirit of Jesus who changes lives now because I can introduce you to some people who have had life-changing experiences, and I'm one of them. And here is also what I would ask you to consider. Not one scholar in the world disagrees that Jesus did not live or was not real, nor did great things and good things and loved all people. As a matter of fact, that is what got him killed because he was, was causing more good than the government at the time, and they wanted to kill him. His followers, even though in the Bible they recorded all this beautifully, never recorded in the Bible that they knew he was going to pull this off. They just recorded this is what he said. They didn't record what they were at and what they did, you know, or how they really wanted to say it, like I was standing there. Think about this. They watched time and time again Jesus heal others, do the supernatural, give life to all that came to him. And he talked about the future all the time to them. Even broke bread with them a couple days earlier before this moment happened and said, this is going to happen. But you can't find them anywhere when he died, even though he told them where to be on day three. You know, it would be great for them to write themselves into the storyline of history in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to say, on this day, I was standing at the tomb when the sun came up and I was ready going 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and the tomb rolled away and Jesus walked out and we praised God all the way down and we said, you are going to pay. No, they didn't say that. You know why? Because they wasn't there. There was nowhere to be found. Matter of fact, they ran. They were scared for their life, and they recorded that. Now, why in the world, if you want to see a movement continue, why would you write yourself into the book as a coward? How would you have wrote yourself into the story? Come on, think about it. Just to be honest. When we tell a story, do we not... Just to make you feel a little bit more attractive? Some of you are like, hey. Some of you are like this to your husband. You know exactly what I'm talking about. That fish story went from here to here in three years. Why? It's because you want to make the story appealing. You want to make the story seem more attractive. But these disciples... They wrote in the Bible that they were not there, that they lost hope, that they were fearful of their lives. Even a little middle school girl who probably had braces and zits all over called out Peter and said, you know what, you're one of them. He's like, no, I'm not. The one who said the gates of hell, man, you're gonna overcome them and I'm gonna build my church on your name. He's like, no, I'm not. Not one of them. Not, not me, not me. He took off running. Cock-a-doodle-doo, cock-a-doodle-doo, and then cock-a-doodle-doo. He remembered he remembered Jesus' words, and he fell. 
and he repented. You know why this is all marked out so carefully in our gospels? Because it's the truth. Because it was the truth and it started a movement called the way and it continues to change lives because Jesus said the truth will set you free. And guess what? It did and it does and it always will be. When it's pointing back to the one who gives truth, which is Jesus, the Lord and Savior, the resurrected King, the genius behind this whole thing called Easter. You see, according to the historical records, after Jesus' death on the cross and the burial in the tomb of, of Joseph of Arimathea, he appeared to, alive to more than 500 people on 12 different occasions. All but one of those appearances occurred within the first 40 days of following Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. And Jesus would show them his scars, his empty hole here. He would eat with them. He would laugh with them. And then he left and he sent them out to fulfill the mission to tell the world and make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And now we get to this other appearance that happened years later that really changed everything for me and you. Eventually, the truth was moving everyone who heard about it because they were all eyewitnesses and they, they shared their experiences openly and, and they're just like, listen, you, you don't, you're, I've got to share what I just, I just got to talk to Jesus. Matter of fact, I just put my hand through this and it was crazy, you know what I mean? I saw his hands, I saw Jesus, I looked him in his eye and we made a joke, you know, full, you know Easter full joke. I mean, we, saw, we made all kinds, we laughed, we giggled and then he laughed. He's like, go, dude, go tell. This is not like some story that got passed on, like your fishing story. This is like Manu Manu, man. It's like one-on-one. -on -one. I saw Jesus. 500 people. It began a movement. And essentially, half the known world at that day and time, over 25,000 people in the region were followers of Jesus. And honestly, that really didn't sit well with the government at that day and time. And I mean, they tried to, to kill him, and it, and it only made the movement even stronger than ever. Then finally, it hits one man named Saul. And Saul, during his time in his history, was a, a Christian killing machine. Maybe you know of him, maybe you don't. And he wanted to derail the movement, and he would stop at nothing to see it finished because he was furious with the way that Jesus lived his life and is continuing on even after we think we killed him. And until one day, years later, after Jesus was risen, he met Saul on the road to Damascus. And in that one moment, in, in, in the recorded books of, of the Bible, it changed Saul's life. He eventually allowed him to see things that he could never see. And eventually Saul became known as the Apostle Paul. I tell you all that story because every scholar in the world agrees upon this, that the man, the Apostle Paul, was real, and he lived. The, the Apostle Paul was one of the few men in the world that helped continue a movement that literally changed the landscape. Now, we could call out Martha Luther King, Billy Graham, you know, we can call out all these people who started movements and changed things, but most people would argue that the Apostle Paul was probably the most influential person who ever lived. 
My question is this. If you're still struggling with this, my question is, is why would a man known to the government to have a green light to kill and smash out Christians been recorded in the same history books that you and I studied growing up as doing this and all of a sudden switch his lifestyle and die for a cause that not is his own? Why would a person be so passionate that he traveled the whole Middle East and the European areas to spread the news about how his life changed when he met Jesus and he wants to share that same love of Christ in a way that can change your life? Why would he write letter after letter after letter and now that are preserved and minted in our Bible that we value, for some of you need a little pledge on it, dust off the dust, We know for certain that Paul wrote at least 13 letters that are included in the New Testament. And scholars continue to debate whether or not he wrote Hebrews. And if he did, that's 14 letters in the Bible that you cherish. You see, from that moment, Paul's experience with salvation, he began preaching about Jesus, which can be found in Acts chapter 9. And over the next several years, Paul traveled the world extensively, planting churches wherever he went. He found open people with open hearts, like-minded people that wanted to change the world through Jesus Christ's love. And when he was not with those churches, he still carried the responsibility in his heart for those churches. Like a father for his children, he wrote them desperately. He eventually died for what changed his life to the same government he used to work for. Why would anybody ever do that? The reason is because it's true. You see, Jesus did pull off the supernatural. And just like he told Mary and Mary to remember I think it's important for us, we should also remember the words uh, that we see everywhere at football games or maybe posted around towns or maybe it's on a tattoo or maybe it's on a scripture piece on a wall uh, somewhere, but it's found in John 3, 16. Maybe we should recall that one just a little bit this morning when it says this, and I quote, for God so loved the what? world that he gave, there it is, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Did you catch some words there that popped out? You see, God so loved you. He's given you something. Something so more valuable than some Reese cup egg that's just going to melt. He gave you his prized possession, his son. That if you believe in this, you receive it. If you receive it, you believe it. It's going to change your life. It's going to change the the way that you live from here on out. And say, I want you to consider this. Maybe consider this. Why that verse is so recognizable, right? And remember the truth that comes from it. Because deep down inside of us, We all want to receive something that's real and it's true that can change our lives. And God did that for you when he gave us Jesus. We just have to receive it openly. You see, your next R is that word, 
It's receive. It's receive. You see, Jesus himself even said it this way. In John chapter 1, verse 12, he says, Jesus says, yet to all who received him. So first you got to receive him. For all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. I know in the culture that we live in, a lot of people have grown up in this culture where the pastor just jumped up and said, you just got to believe. You just got to believe to make it today. You just got to fake it till you make it. Just believe, just believe and come on down. And we just get all emotionally charged and we just do things and we just do things out of order. And then eventually we just sort of stray from it because we were just taught to believe just like those other things in life that we now have grown away from. And maybe that's where you're at because you never did receive him in the first place, how in the world are you going to believe him now? How are you going to believe there's an empty tomb? Because it's just a myth. You don't know anybody who existed. One thing you can see is people dancing and shouting and jumping up and down, and you know, I don't know about all that praising Jesus stuff. I'll get dressed up, but, you know, I'm just looking for the cobbler. You with me? That's the culture we live in, and it's called Christian culture. I want a Jesus culture that can change the world. And that's why he said, you got to receive me. That way you can believe in me, and you have the right to become my child, and I will protect you, and I'm going to give you life. And you, man, things are going to happen. Trouble's going to come your way. But I tell you, life is coming. You see, you can't believe in something until you receive from it. And maybe that's why you're stuck in life. It's more of a ritual in the pattern of a CEO, Christmas and Easter only, because you were just taught to believe, and then you grew out of it. It's never impacted your life, so you just, just left it when you left those other childish things. However, I would challenge you to consider, if Paul did not really receive Jesus that day, why in the world, over the entire world, there are millions and billions of people today worshiping a risen king? You have to think about that one for a moment. How is that even possible? All right, so let's, we got off track, but let's go back to the story of Mary and Mary. You with me? They remembered because they received, but now what? They remembered and they received the message. Now what? They're running. Your next R is running. In the gospel, it talks about them running. They found the empty tomb and they took off running to go share the news that they have just experienced. They're running to go share it to anybody. They're running to tell people the good news that he's no longer there. And in John's gospel, verse 20, they find some people. They find John and Peter. And in verse 20 of gospel of John, chapter 20, it says this. It says, so Peter and the other disciple, which is John, started for the tomb. It says both were what? Running. But the other disciple outran Peter. He's kind of bragging, kind of boastful. He leaves his name out. He's like, but he's talking in third person, so people like that do that. You know, he said, but the other person, the other disciple, John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He says he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight in the tomb. He didn't stop. He said he saw the strips of linen lying there, and he gets excited. You almost see the expressions on his face. You can almost feel the opportunity of tension in his life because it's got his full attention. And it says, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. 
You almost can see the eyes. You can almost see the lips. You can almost see everything. It's, it's just, you know, the first time when you wake up in the morning, what do you do? <laughs> right? And then there's something laying over your face. You're going to, you know, and it's just like, he just, there it was. It's his face. He pulls it out. It's like the kid, he receives something. You know, it's like that moment, you know, it's exciting. And it says, as well as the cloth had been wrapped around Jesus' head, the same cloth that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus wrapped around him, the cloth was still lying there in its place, separate from the linen. It says, finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw, and what does it say? He believed. In verse nine, it says, they still did not understand, and that's okay. They did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. They're still trying to comprehend all this because it's heavy. It just shows you how smart Jesus really was. To get the world's attention, he had to do the unthinkable. He was a genius. In verse 10, it says, then the disciples went back to where they were staying. And essentially, they went back to where they were staying to go share the good news. You see, there's so much happening in this passage. I just wanted to basically boil it down to these two things. There's so much, but I, I think it's for Christians here today, those who are following Jesus, to consider where you're at in life. You see, Mary and Mary, Mary Magdalene, both were running. They were running to share the news. He's alive, he's risen, he's gone. I don't know, but something's happened. Something's happened. They were sharing the news. They might not fully be able to understand it, but that's okay. They couldn't explain it, that's okay. All they knew is they witnessed it, they remembered it, they received it, and now they're running to share the story to the rest of the world. They were doing the job of sharing the gospel in a way that changes lives. And I pray for most Christians today that you're these two ladies. That you're these two ladies because they changed the world. Now, for other Christians and for other disciples, such as John and Peter, you find them running in a different direction, right? Where were they running? They were running to the tomb to see if this is true. They were running to the tomb to see if this really had indeed happened. Don't we do that a lot? We see something we can't explain. Something, to be honest, that's kind of supernatural and it's kind of freaking us out. And instead, we, instead of saying, thank you, Jesus, we go running to see if it's true. Why do we do that? When Jesus himself said, hey, there's life coming. And it's life that can change lives. You just got to be focused on me. You got to allow me to be the center of everything. And I promise you, it will change lives if you receive it. If you remember it, you believe in it, it change the world. And I think for a lot of us today, I don't know where you're at and where you're sitting in your seat. Maybe you're far from God or maybe you're the Christian who's running towards Jesus just to see if it's real. Maybe for a lot of you, you grew up in church and you believe in the whole idea of who God is and you're, you're running, you're just, you're just still doubting this whole thing called resurrection. You believe, but you don't really fully believe because you're always just saying, you know, this is coincidence, or this is this, and, and you, you're like that guy just looking for the truth. Or maybe you're like Mary and Mary, who's just running with their arms wild open, man, and just, 
They're just sharing their news in a way that can change lives. They don't understand it all. It says clearly they didn't understand it all. And they might not have all the answers. It's okay. It just says they experienced something that changed their life and they gotta go share it. And I just wanna say thank you. Thank you for doing that in a way that's changing the world because we need more of you. If you're not looked around, we need more of you to just go running around being fruitcakes in some fashion to go share the gospel in a way that can change lives. That's what they did. But I think for all of us, I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you know the story of how Jesus entered into the world. There's two books in the Bible. There's an Old Testament, there's a New Testament. And in those books, there's all kinds of letters. And one of the letters found in the Old Testament is called the book of Isaiah. And what we know about the book of Isaiah was written 500 years before Jesus was ever, ever around on the face of this earth. You see, people were talking about what he would do and what he would bring if the people would receive his message. Because he said, it is, it is, you know, Isaiah recorded is the most clearest prophecy about Jesus that can literally breathe life into you today. And it says this in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 through 5. And it says this unmistakably truthful words. It said he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are Five hundred years before Jesus was even born. You see, my prayer is this. I don't know where you're at today in your Easter journey. Maybe you've been around the sun 40, 50, 60 some odd times. But my prayer is this, that you will remember these words recorded in our book we cherish called the Bible and you will receive the message of truth and you will begin running a race with Jesus, which will allow you to find truth, which will allow you to find peace and produce a joy for life that is contagious for all mankind through his love, not yours. Because this is how you can find a disciple of Jesus. Jesus says, they will know me how you love them. And so when you start to be feeling love, you might want to look around. You might be in the presence of those who follow Jesus. See how we love, how we love builds on what he did. And that's how we can say this day very clearly, love built this. Love built this. Love built this moment today, even though it was years ago. It continues to build because we received it, we believed it, we remember it. Now we're running in a way that changes lives, change lives. And the only person that we want to get the credit for is Jesus. And may it multiply in the future in a way that changes the atmosphere. So today, 
we celebrate Easter. What some thought today was the end, but that's why Jesus was a genius, because it was only the beginning of a movement. A day that changed lives, that continues to change lives. And we challenge you to consider what Easter means to you and you and you and you. Is it about that one thing that you got to do to get with your family and to pass on? Or is it about the one who lives that changes everything? My prayer is this. Today you will consider making a decision that forever, that will forever, ever change everything in history just like Mary and Mary, the disciples, the Apostle Paul, and for every person who has ever shared their story of how they found out Jesus is alive. Because when you do, you cannot stop running towards others and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. He is risen. Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you for Easter 2018 in a way that changes lives. Father, I just, I know there's people in here that are hurting and I know there's people in here that are far from God and I know there's people in here that that have experienced you in a way that's changed their lives. And so for wherever journey they're at this Easter, I just pray that literally we can humbly humble ourselves in a way that changes the trajectory of how we experience Easter from this day forward. And may it not just be one day a year, but may it be day after day after day after day of sharing the story of Jesus and Easter. How he allows us to remember his promises. Receive it in a way that changes our lives. And may we go run in a way that literally impacts the world and run that race with perseverance and finish it strong. No matter where we're at, Jesus, I pray that. Amen. Let's sing a song. Time to respond. You want to sit there and just absorb everything what God's doing. It's your call. But I just pray that we all sing forever, hallelujah, in a way that can change lives.